Hey, listeners, a few episodes ago, I asked you to call in or write in and share your mantras, those miniature pieces of advice you give yourselves throughout the day. I got some thoughtful replies I want to pass along. Teresa wrote in, quote, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Yes, I have heard that and I can definitely relate to that. Kim shared hers. Quote, mine was picked up from watching Twin Peaks back in the 90s when Agent Cooper said to give yourself a present every day, even if it's just a slice of pie. The small gifts I give myself, such as a sweet treat or setting aside time to do a crossword puzzle, have really helped me through stressful times. I love it. That's great. <laughs> I love the thought of having a piece of pie every day. Anne offered, quote, never underestimate the power of a brief encounter. That's such an interesting concept to hold in your mind as you go about your day. I mean, it could make you paranoid, but it's interesting to think about. Kim, Teresa, Anne, I love these words of wisdom. Thanks so much for writing in. And remember to buy your tickets to my Hello Again tour at tignotaro.com. New dates are being announced regularly, so go check out my website. All right, let's start the show. I've known in recent years, in the past like decade-ish, that I'm claustrophobic. And I was just doing my last show of this last leg in Sacramento. And I got locked in and trapped in the bathroom of my hotel for 30 minutes. Ugh. There were no windows. The door was two inches thick. And it was one of the most traumatic things in my entire life. And I went on stage that night. And as I was walking up the steps, I was like, just do your material. And as soon as I opened my mouth, I was like, I was just trapped in a bath. Like, I just went into a whole, like, unplanned moment of, like... <laughs> all this material. And I was just cracking up because I was not planning on doing that. What was the solution? What happened? At one point, the door slid open. Was it a pocket door? It was a pocket door. It had a hook lock that locked inside. Yeah. And that got stuck. But I love that you walked right onto stage. You're like, I'm not going to do this, but I'm going to do this. I had no intention of talking about it. And it came from being on stage saying, Sacramento, I am so happy to see you. And it was like hitting these real authentic emotions in me. And they were just like such an energetic crowd. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to tell these people. And I just went off. Yeah. And I was saying on stage, I didn't see this as being funny anytime soon. And I couldn't believe 30 minutes later, I was on stage doing this in front of a theater. It's the magic of stand-up. Yeah. I always like to think it's nice to have a good set with material that I've done before and that I do really well and polished on stage. But I think the sweet spot is getting up there and doing what I've seen you do. You just lean into that portal, whatever that topic is that is unplanned. And I see you do that with audience members. And to move in that direction and not like veer away from it, but to consciously go, okay, here I go. I'm going to do this thing. And I have no idea what is going to come out of my mouth, but I'm going to go there and see what happens. Especially when you have an audience like that, when there's that kind of chemistry that 
you can do something so unplanned and they're so with you and that connectivity and authenticity and everybody is just laughing till they cry and you're crying. That's the sweet spot for me. That's why yeah. I like stand up. I feel lucky to have it. And I'm still dealing with some PTSD. I'm sure. But the stand up, it was a helpful moment for me. This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro, and I'm seriously considering opening a baked goods store called Donut Ask Tig. My apologies to everyone. Joining me now is an actor, comedian, and writer known for his work on Will and Grace and the Golden Globe and Emmy Award-winning series Transparent. His stand-up special, Ian Harvey, May the Best Man Win, is available on Amazon Prime. Ian Harvey, it is so good to see you, and thank you for stopping by. Thanks, Tig. It's good to see you. I want to call you Barb. I know. We we were both on Transparent. I mean, no scenes together, but I loved Barb. You were so good on that show. I, you know what? I'm one of those people that has a super hard time watching myself. I don't know if you enjoy watching yourself, but I don't like watching myself. With acting? Yeah. I guess I can't even say I don't like it. I It's more of that I'm like, oh, look at you. Oh, how interesting. Look at me trying to act. <laughs> it's funny because I, I remember I was doing this play in New York a couple summers ago with Dolly Wells and Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Cindy Chung, and so many great people. And I, I hadn't done theater since the eighth grade. I was in The Hobbit in the eighth grade. <laughs> oh, congrats. Yeah, thank I you. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, it's not on my IMDb yet, but so I went to New York, did this play. And Jesse Tyler Ferguson always, he's like the papa of the group and teased the crap out of us. And mm -hmm. me in particular. And one time I said, um, that scene we were doing last night, I was really feeling it. And I was really feeling like, and I was just describing what I was feeling. And he said, oh my God, you guys, look at Ian. He's describing what it feels like to act. <laughs> and, and I was just like, wait, oh, that's not what we're doing here? Oh, okay. Anyway, but watching myself now, I do. So, I think I do something similar. Yeah. So I kind of don't even feel like it's me. And I'm not even that hard on myself. It's just more like, ugh. God, that didn't feel good. But you've described yourself as annoyingly positive. <laughs> well, I try to not say mean things to myself. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm critical, but I'm not like, God, that you're a terrible human being for that take or yeah. whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just like, there's enough people out in the world to say negative things. I don't need to join them kind of thing. So I just try mm -hmm. to like reframe what I'm thinking about myself. And do you have any advice for people struggling with finding the positive in life? <laughs> I don't know if I have advice, but it's really, you have to change your thinking. Mm -hmm. Like whatever previous repetitive thinking that you have done and whatever sort of narrative that you have told yourself on repeat, I think you really have to start with refusing to do that. And second, try to say something completely opposite, even though you don't believe a word of it mm -hmm. until you start to sort of believe the word of it. I mean, people say, you know, fake it till you make it all the time. But to put that into practice is really just stopping 
what you're doing to yourself in that moment. I often think I would never say these things to another human being. Why do I give permission to myself to do it to myself? So just to, you know, say, I would never do that to a friend, be my best friend to myself and stop doing that behavior, even if I can't get to the positive words yet. And then step two, try to say, you know, the, the, the positive stuff, even if it feels fake, even if it feels contrived and mm-hmm. inaccurate at the moment. Yeah, you're blazing a new trail for yourself and yeah. your thoughts. And in that, like, I think you're also creating new brain patterns. Yeah. I've gotten addicted to positivity. And sometimes I have to reel that in mm-hmm. because there's times when positivity is not needed. Yeah, it's like, read the room, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> read, come on, Ian, take yeah. it down yeah. a notch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I remember one of the things I loved about Stephanie when we got together, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I realized, I said, you don't ever say anything bad about yourself. And she said, yeah, I never would. And she said, that doesn't mean there's not room for self-improvement, but I would never speak poorly about myself. And I was like, oh, that's why I'm attracted to you. You know, it's such an attractive quality. Now. Some people are attracted to those kinds of people because they want some of that to rub off on them. And some mm-hmm. people want to be near that quality because they possess it as well. Do you feel like it's one or the other of those? I don't feel like I speak poorly about myself. Um, I certainly will make jokes about myself and that kind of thing, but I'm not like, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're terrible, you're the worst at this, you'll never be able to do that. You know, I'm not at all that person. Yeah, I have hope and confidence in myself. And that's probably true what you're saying. Like, it's a similar quality, I guess that I have. Yeah, I've been with people where they wanted it from me. Mm -hmm. But they also didn't really want to receive it or Mm -hmm. wanted some of it to sort of rub off on them. I've been in relationships with people like that, and it just didn't work out because it was attractive to them, but they didn't really want it in their life themselves. And so, and it, I think ultimately ended on that or because of that. Yeah. I had an old old girlfriend. So I'm originally from Maine and she used to say, this old girlfriend of mine used to say, I can't believe it. You could fall into a bucket of crap and come out with a new sweater. (laughs) She's like, I just don't get it. It annoys the crap out of me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the point where you say scram clown. Yeah. You know, they're not into it. I like an opportunity to say scram. Yeah. Oh, I wedge it in anytime I can. Anytime (laughs) I can. I see you're drinking your water. I know you're, you're a sober comedian. I am. Yeah. 29 years. 29 years no. today? <laughs> no, is no. today the- no, Thanksgiving was my 29 years. Okay. So the night before Thanksgiving, 29 years ago, I got hammered. And that was just life-changing for you. Well, I started drinking when I was super young and it became kind of a regular thing in high school. And then by the time I turned 21, I was just exhausted from it. Yeah. It takes whatever it takes for people to quit. And for me, it took hurting somebody's feelings really bad. I'm a very sensitive soul. And so when I hurt this person's feelings, I was devastated by it. And I want to say on the third day of that hangover, Mm -hmm. which was probably alcohol poisoning. I mean, three days of a hangover, I think is just, you've made yourself pretty darn sick with booze if, if it's lasted that long. And so if someone called me, this friend of mine who I really adored and said, 
Hey, I'm, I'm headed to like a 12 step meeting. You want to go? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and that was it for me. Wow. When I got there, everybody in there, it just, the stories people told, I, it just all resonated with me. I'm like, this is me. Like I'm so much like you. And I really like the collective effort of a group mm-hmm. trying to achieve something together, whether that's an ensemble oh, yeah. cast in a play or, yep. you know, whether it's a group of people trying to stay sober, I'm really obsessed with ensembles you know, community really. So yeah. I just felt at home there. Um, and it was also so long ago that it was a giant open room in Portland, Maine. And it was one side of the room was smoking and the other side was non-smoking. And the entire room was just filled with smoke. I was going <laughs> to say, hilarious. I bet the non-smoking side of the room couldn't even smell any of that cigarette yeah, smoke no. on the other side. No. Yeah. I'm not sober, but I'm certainly not the biggest drinker you'll find. It's a rare day or evening that I'll have a drink. Yeah. And you know what? And as an alcoholic, I still watch for like who's drinking, who's not, how many you've had. If you had had a drink in my presence, I could tell you how many you had. And (laughs) you know what? If I did choose to have a drink, I would never do it and walk on stage. Never. It's like I've seen alcohol like ruin so many people, so many get togethers. It's just like, oh man, reel it in. Why does it have to get to this place? I mean, I feel for people obviously. um, But yeah, it's just not for me. And I just find moderation or sobriety way more attractive. Yeah. I have a friend who um, he and I are both sober and, uh, you know, he said, look, someone asked me if I wasn't an alcoholic, would I still drink? And he said, yeah every freaking day. (laughs) And I feel the same. Like I just, I know through and through I've tested it. I know that it's in me chemically, genetically, however you want to describe it. And, you know, I learned how to do stand up without it, you know, which I'm so grateful for. And this is just from conversations with dozens and dozens of other comics that start with it and don't know how to do it without it. And I had this friend say, you know what, if you start without it, you can always add it later. But if you start with it, then you think you need it in order to step onto the stage. A lot of people do. Right. That's a good point. Because I've seen plenty of comedians get sober and then be really scared of the stage after that. Yeah. Anyway, Ian, are you ready to answer some advice questions? Yeah, I would love to. Our first question concerns a kindergartner's finances. Samantha writes, my five-year-old wants to earn money to buy toys for a pet fish. We're brainstorming chores she can do that she will be good at and that will actually be helpful to our family. Any suggestions? I, what I like is that, that they want to give them chores that are easy that they can do. I'm like, why not give them hard chores? I mean, why not you know, make it a little bit more difficult? Why not give them super impossible chores that they will never Uh need? Such as? They have to remodel the bathroom and retile the floor. I mean, make it super functional. And this is all to buy a $2.99 toy. (laughs) We have some tile in the garage. Um, There's some grout and some mortar out there. And I'm sure you know what grout and mortar is. Here's a YouTube video. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Give us a ring when you're done. <laughs> Do you have plans to have children, Ian? Yeah, no. With our children, we have five and a half year olds. And since they started talking, I made a decision to teach them not the typical 
word for something because I think it's so cute to hear brewski come out of their mouth, you know, like, oh, go get Rick wants a brewski. And then to see, you know, a three-year-old or two-and-a-half-year-old bring it over and say brewski. Absolutely. It's just, a, you know, to amuse yourself is basically. Yeah, uh, it's definitely along those lines, you know, like just talking to them as if they were little adults and assuming that they know what you're talking about and seeing what happens. I don't know. I just like that kind of, you know, baffling kids. At our house, we... um Max and Finn do chores, and at the end of the week, they get a dollar, and their chores are they have to turn their nightlight off in the morning, and they have to feed the cat, and they have to pick up their toys. We go pretty easy on them. Like, they've never remodeled any part of our house, <laughs> and I'll be honest, a lot of times, they don't even have to save their money for things like fish toys. We'll just buy it for them and they just collect the cash. And we end up losing a lot of money on this decision <laughs> to have children. Well, you just named like three great things for this person to do with their five-year-old. You know, turn off your nightlight, feed the cats and pick up your toilet. Um, Put your pajamas on your bed for the next night. But uh, yeah, I mean, why are we even asking Ian? Ian has no children and no plans to have a child. So Samantha, there you have it. <laughs> Maybe check in on your state's child labor laws before taking any advice from Ian Harvey. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. It's time for a break, but we'll be right back with more listener questions. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. You can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Sephora, and Zappos. And even stack deals on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, it's Janae Desmond-Harris, a.k.a. Dear Prudence, and I want you to tell me about all your problems. Each week on Slate's Dear Prudence podcast, I'm here to tackle your questions about relationships, sex, work, family, and beyond, all with the help of an expert guest. We'll help you navigate it all. Whether you're a teen dealing with parents, an adult looking to spice up your sex life, or you just need some validation that you're not losing it, we're here to listen and to offer some guidance. Need help? Just ask Prudy. New episodes every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, 
Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Way basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Way with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Rowland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're back. Ian, this next one comes from a listener named Mandy. Okay. Mandy writes, Hi, Tig. My question comes out of my recent wave of procrastination with buying wedding gifts. I had two close friends get married two years ago, and one close friend got married last year. It started because I wanted to buy the perfect personal gift or make something since I was in the wedding party in two of those weddings. Then I spiraled and did the same for the wedding last year. At this point, it's been so long. Am I terrible if I just give money? Um, gosh, how dare you give money? Yeah, everybody hates money. Yeah, the last thing anybody wants is a sack of cash in their hands, right? <laughs> I mean, I I can't even imagine getting married and having an issue with somebody not getting me anything or giving me a sack of cash. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a big ask to have someone in your wedding and then to give them a gift. And, you know, with having to like buy a dress or rent a suit or buy a suit or whatever those, all those expenses are, go away, stay at a place. A lot of times um, that, taking out a, a bunch of time out of your life. So I think that, you know, when it comes to the gifts, like don't be so hard on yourself. Um, you know, yeah. and also, like you said, people love money. They want, everybody would love a cartoon bag of cash, you know, not that they're going to Chances that. are they're getting married just to get money. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's the reality. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I got married <laughs> for sacks of cash. <laughs> Truly. And for the personal gifts that everybody made by hand. That was also what was so important to me. (laughs) I think it's really sweet that they wanted to do something original and thoughtful and, you know, whatever kind of handmade or gesture. As long as you put whatever you put a note and say, look, I might be a fool for waiting two years to do this, but it's been on my mind for that long. And I really adore you. And I'm sorry it's taken this long, but here's what I came up with, whatever that is. And I think that that sack of cash, (laughs) even that is, uh, I don't know. I just think it's sweet. The note that is with it. I like the notes um, just as much as I like whatever the gift is, you know, you like a handwritten note equally as much as you like a sack of cash Ian? well look i mean no one's actually giving a sack of cash unless oh well 
I mean, they, you get hundred bucks here and there. That's our no. thing. You invite me to your wedding, you're getting a sack of cash, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll make sure that <laughs> invite is in the mail. I, I just think that, you know, like the note part of it, I'm a sap, you know, I just love, yeah. I actually really like writing the notes and putting something in there that I've thought about them as a couple, or it's not a letter or a podcast or a long thing, but just something that makes me think of them, you know, it's not, it's not what I should do. Is that what you're saying? Well, I just don't like the sitting down writing notes. I think it's so nice. Um, but for me to sit down and write a note and tell people how I feel about them, I just am like, look, read between the lines. Here is a sack of cash. I There's no way I'm going to give this to somebody I hate or don't care about. Sack of cash, sack of cash. Also, it seems like being in the wedding is, is a huge, uh, nice thing. Thing that you're doing for for the person that's getting married it's a lot listen i remember i've been in a few weddings the last one that i was in was in san diego before i transitioned and i had to buy a dress that was mm-hmm. very expensive mm-hmm. and i didn't want to wear a dress and my friend didn't want to make me wear a dress but her mom really wanted me to wear a dress <laughs> so oh my i wore gosh. a dress what are people's hang-ups like oh know. my gosh i have to see you in a dress yeah it's a thing But I think, you know, her mom had a vision for her daughter's wedding and she didn't want one oddball, you know, ruining. Right. But it's her daughter's wedding. But I, you know, I I didn't mind doing it for my friend. I really felt like it's kind of like, well, I love my friend and I'm going to be a clown today and drag, which is what I felt like. So I just like, I'll do this (laughs) for my friend. And we danced together. She and I, her in her wedding dress and me in my dress, like a couple's dance at her wedding, which was really fun. So yeah, I think it's a I think it's a lot of work for anybody to be part of somebody's wedding. So I think that's also kind of part of the gift, aside from the bag of cash. <laughs> Especially if it's a destination wedding, people are oh paying God, money yeah. to get out there. And yeah. um I yeah, flew from if, Maine to San Diego to be in that wedding, bought a dress, stayed in a hotel for four you're days. You're a good friend. You're a good it was, friend. It was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. It feels like your presence, your your physical presence at a wedding and being involved and the money that you spend to be in the whole ceremony. That's a lot. That's a big gift. And well, thank, um, thank you. <laughs> truly. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, I don't even I, uh, remember what I know. I don't remember when I got them. I think it was cash. I think I put maybe a hundred bucks in like a envelope and was in like, a sack. Yeah. Was it all ones or was it all coins? Oh my um, gosh, that's the best gift is yeah, a sack like of nickels. Of 20, rolls of quarters. Not even rolls, just loose change in a sack. Yeah. I think cash is great. And mm-hmm. no matter how prompt you are with it or how far after the wedding is, people are going to be like, a surprise amount of money is going to be amazing. I mean, who wouldn't like, go to their door, get the mail and like see an envelope or whether it's in person or whatever and be like, listen, I love you. Sorry. It's been so long. And you open it and there's a wad of cash in there. Like, you're like, absolutely. This is great. Yeah. Yeah, If if your married friends ditch you because you didn't appropriately gift them for the, the unions, then so be it. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. Uh Um, so, Mandy, better late than never. Um, and even 
Never is fine, too. Uh, this okay. next one comes from Jen. Jen writes, Hi, Tig. I struggle with body image, and I'm looking for tips slash advice on how to appreciate my body. How can I better embrace my shape and love my body just the way it is? Help your number one fan, Jen. Wow. Um, it's so nice to finally meet my number one fan. Did you not know that she was? I didn't. I didn't. I knew that I knew she was out there, I assumed, um, because I've met the number five and six fans. <laughs> um, so I could only assume that there were some higher rankings out there. But hello, Jen. Um, uh, what, what are your feelings about body image? I mean, you mentioned earlier that you transitioned. What is your feeling about your body before or now or you know it's funny i don't think that what jen is going through and what i've been through and sometimes still go through and even what you've been through surgically you know having double mastectomy i think we all have something you know something kind of similar in um you know we are thinking about our bodies in in a way and that a lot of other people do as well. And I think the, there's a few people who don't. And I think those people are generally men. <laughs> I do. I do. Like I said to my buddy, I was my buddy, Dan, who's a comic. I was like, God, like, well, what do I do if like I get a gut and like, you know, I, you know, am not taking care of myself and I get a, he goes, you're not going to care. You're going to be a dude and you're just not going to care. And I'm like, no, but, but, but I do care. Uh, <laughs> but and so I you do care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, you know, I do think that most people have discomfort with their body. And I think that is what unifies us and that mm -hmm. nobody feels hundred percent okay about their bodies. And if they do, then they're the weirdo. They're the, not the norm. The norm is that this is a struggle that most everybody can walk by a mirror and go, what the, you know, um, yeah. at some point. Please um, watch your language, Ian. <laughs> yeah, I so, think admitting uh, any sort of struggle is healthy. I think that yeah. um, I think it's very helpful. I know, as you mentioned, my double mastectomy. I um, I'm sorry, did I? I didn't mean to. If people weren't aware. Yeah, that. yeah. Word is not out yet that I had cancer or had a double mastectomy. Um, I'm so and sorry. I tried I to hide that knew. by doing comedy topless. But I think it was when I was faced with the fact that I had to have a double mastectomy that I really got in touch with how I felt about my body on a deeper level. And I didn't want in that moment, I didn't want surgery. I didn't, you know, I've talked about this before where people contacted me saying, hey, congrats on the free top surgery. And, and I was just like, that's so bizarre to assume that it was right. what I wanted or that it was that casual for me because I was actually devastated to have anything done. And then soon after, I was actually not only fine with it, but I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm 10 years old again, you know, just with this completely flat chest. And it was a whole up and down roundabout experience that I went through where it was a struggle. But you didn't really have a choice. It was presented to you kind of like as a, 
a medical necessity in which I do think that trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming folks who need surgery to feel better in their bodies, it is a medical necessity for them as well. But Mm -hmm. this wasn't something that you were seeking. This was something that was, you know, put to you in a different way. And that's definitely different. But I do think that one of the things that I've found that really helps, you know, naming it, saying it out loud, admitting it, because I do think it takes some of the air out of it um, to say it out loud, because usually it's just festering inside of us. Um, Mm -hmm. And to be able to take some of the wind out of that and find relief and comfort in knowing others who are feeling similar back to that community and ensemble, you know, thing that I love. The moment that I realized that I was not the only one that felt this way, I felt so much better. And that was a, a massive relief. So I think that's probably in the beginnings of feeling better. But then also back to that language of not letting yourself be mean to yourself, being a friend mm-hmm. to yourself, thinking about, you know, all those things that I would never say to another human being or another friend. Why am I allowing myself to say them to myself? And that whatever your shape is, like find new language for it. I know that um, there are fat phobes out there. Um, and I'm not even assuming that this person is whatever, but they don't like their shape. You know, I call people who are differently shaped people of shape. You know, there's people of color, there's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, gender nonconforming people. And I'm just trying to find new language that doesn't sound um, historically uh, bad or negative to, to my ears. And like, what can I, how can I reframe this in a way that is more loving? And also, I have to tell you, you know what, it is a really hard step, but also acceptance and like maybe figuring out what the steps are to acceptance of where you're at. You know, I'm a, I'm a guy who, you know, I look in the mirror and I see, you know, scars on my chest and I now think, well, that's my body. That's what this guy's body looks like. And there are as many different bodies as there are human beings. And that the whole norm or what is supposed to be is a, just a absolute crock of shit. That's all very great and helpful and and true. And I think also you talked about community and realizing that you're not alone and all genders go through this and experience it. I also think it's probably helpful to talk to somebody about it, a therapist, and figure out maybe what triggers you might have. Is it mirrors or seeing ads of people and and just making sure to not surround yourself with those triggers, especially when you're going through a process of feeling good about yourself. Not that you can avoid mirrors and ads for the rest of your life, but just to kind of get in check and and touch base with yourself. I do I just I think counseling is is really always a good thing to do, whether it's online or in person or I love talk therapy. It's it's really it saved me so many times on so many topics and mm-hmm. I'm just such a huge uh, fan of it. I I agree with you. One of the things that I like to say when people are hard on themselves, I always say, "Hey, don't talk about my friend like that." Yeah, uh, when they're the one that yeah, that says it about themselves and it's something also that you can try and apply to to yourself if you're alone and talking about yourself like that 
to just be like, Hey, why am I talking about my friend like this? Yeah. I love that. Just like a little tap on the shoulder to stop and Mm -hmm. reframe like, Oh yeah. Oh, it's so um, sweet and simple. I do like that. Jen. Number one fan. Number one fan. I hope that something or all things that we said were helpful to you. And um, please, uh, please don't drop in the rankings of of, uh, (laughs) loving me. Okay. Um, Ian, we've got one last thing to do together before I let you go. All right. Everyone wishes they had the perfect response at the ready for certain social interactions. Come back to me later is the segment where we make that wish come true. Back to me, they leave back to me, come back to me later. This is come back to me later where we help a listener come up with the perfect response. Jaden writes, hi, Tig, I just started a new job at a health-based grocery store. I'm transgender and I use she and they pronouns, which are on my name tag. However, some coworkers still misgender me. What are some good responses for when this happens? I have a sense of humor, so I've been trying to think of the funniest response I can. Um, I mean, in my special happy to be here, I talk about how when I go up to a counter and somebody says, how can I help you, sir? I'll, I'll respond and just, um, you know, say it's a guy that said it. I'll say, um, I'll just have this pack of gum, ma'am. <laughs> it's so funny. I love that. And I've done that. And I think that that's a perfect response because they it, did it. Why can't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just yeah. give it back to them. And not that it's like trying to fight with people, but it's just, and they weren't doing it to fight with you. They just misgendered and, and then I don't make a big deal out of it. I just say, oh, um, I'll have this, ma'am. And then, and they're like, oh, (laughs) I don't know. But I also enjoy awkwardness. So you do. And I also think that if you (laughs) add a giant grin to it while you say it, it's just going to go down really easily. I think if you say things with a smile like that, it just, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I think that it's really important to consider people's intentions because oftentimes there is misgendering, but there is good intentions in not just gender issues, but just in life. I think it's really crucial to have good intentions and to consider people's intentions when they have a a misstep or mishap. Absolutely. I think I'm a pretty good read of people up front. Mm -hmm. I know that most people are sort of operating from a place of default. Yeah. And I think when someone misgendered me, it's from a place of habit and not a place of they automatically, whatever my sort of presentation looks like, they just, even if it's uh, ambiguous, th- mm-hmm. I think that people just fall into whatever they think is closest visually. I don't think that people are in the habit yet and don't have mal intent. I think they just don't know. And I actually, you know, am, I'm still waiting for everybody to know and not everybody's going to know. 
And I just have like ultimate forgiveness for people that do not have ill intentions with it. And to read that very quickly and do it with a smile back and do what you say, I think is a fantastic. I'll tell you, I think that it works way better than wagging your finger at somebody. I think, you know, if you make it into a joke, which Jaden was talking about doing, like, I'd like to do it with a sense of humor. That I think is a really great way to access people rather than slapping their hand. And I think making a joke out of it and doing the same thing back is hilarious, especially with a big grin. I hope that helps Jaden and Ian. That's the end of the show. My goodness. I know. What a fun time. I know. It flew by. Thanks so much for being here and for helping my listeners. Yeah. Well, it's helped me too. So I'm going to uh, go and practice some of these things that we've discussed that I'm imperfect about. Good. I'm going to be nice to myself and I'm going to say to others, you know, hey, that's my friend you're talking about. Yeah. I thank you for having me. Is there anything that you want to share with the listeners? Since the beginning of the pandemic, uh-huh. I've really gotten into woodworking and I built the world's largest catio for our friend, Margaret. Margaret Cho. Yeah. And I started an Instagram of the little projects that I do. Oh, that's awesome. It's called Official Trandy Man. Love it. And are you pretty trandy? I'm super trandy. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you look very trandy. <laughs> I'm super trandy. And you'll see on my Instagram all the things that all different things that I built. So you can check that out. I can't wait to check it out. It was a real pleasure talking to you and seeing you again. I haven't seen you since you were at my old office. I know. We were shooting a TV show that didn't get aired. I know. It's okay. But yeah. I love seeing you. I will hopefully see you sooner than later. And thank yeah. you again for being on the show. Thank you, Tig. Bye, Ian. Bye. And I'm currently on the road for my Hello Again tour. If you want to see me in person, go to tignotaro.com for all of my tour dates. Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette, Shana Deloria, and Ryan Lore. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Johnny Vince Evans and Eric Romani. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Pizza Shark. Our theme music is Friend and Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Lily Kim, Alex Shafford, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. 
You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana. And I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. (laughs) 